You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. And lastly, if you have a spare moment, let me ask for a favor. If you enjoy this show or anything that I've produced, I would really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. The internet now runs on algorithms and including this podcast and the YouTube videos and everything else I create, it's really the algorithms that determine how new people find our content. So the way that that works is with more ratings and reviews, the more people that can actually enjoy the show, which helps us do things like grow our audience and sell more courses and maybe get sponsors and all those things. So if you have a moment, if you could please give me a rating or review, I would appreciate that greatly. This week is all about Kubernetes troubleshooting with a product called Commodore. And I have the CTO and co-founder ETL Schwartz on the show. And we go through how Commodore works, what problems it's trying to solve, how the team arrived at the idea for a solution like this, which is basically a cloud view of your clusters and troubleshooting steps that you can do remotely. And we go through enough of the product that I think you'll get a really good sense of whether this tool could help you for when things inside your cluster don't go exactly as planned. Welcome to the show, ETL Schwartz. He's the CTO and the co-founder of a little startup called Commodore. And I just recently learned about this, so I was checking it out and it's got some pretty cool stuff. So I'm excited to get into it and learn something about it. And welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, pleasure to be here, Brett. Yeah. So we were talking before the show, you've got a lot of background in not just making a startup, but obviously Kubernetes and the world of running containers in production. And tell me a little bit about your background. Let's start with that. Like, How did this even come about? Yeah, sure, sure. So I'll give a quick like introduction about me and about Commodore. So Commodore was founded by me and my partner, Ben O'Fieri. We met in the university 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, ben, uh, after the university or during the university, started working for Google. And he worked there both as a software engineer and then a product manager. So he worked with Borg, not really Kubernetes, but the very, right. uh, very similar concepts. And I, on the other hand, started working for eBay which I was a backend engineer and an infrastructure engineer back then. Then I joined an Israeli startup named Forter. I was there again, like backend infrastructure engineer. And then I was the first developer in Rookout, which is another Israeli startup. Super cool. I was there the first developer. So basically I have built everything from the ground up. And a lot of my experience is from like building and playing with Kubernetes when it was a little bit younger and more rough like right. uh, around the edges. Uh, and we started the uh, Commodore almost a year ago. Uh, we are now like 13 people. And we try to help companies basically troubleshoot and, and debug things in Kubernetes easier. Because uh, I know like from firsthand that troubleshooting an issue, even or especially when you are on Kubernetes, might be super difficult sometimes. 
For sure. And, and I'm sure you have tons of stories about customers that are already trying it out and how it's helping them and all that. There's a ton of stuff to talk about in troubleshooting. And one of the challenges I think for a lot of us is if you come from a developer world, you're only learning about infrastructure or you tend to only learn about infrastructure when something breaks and you're forced, you're the only one to fix it. (laughs) Or maybe an operator person like myself, I come from that traditional background. And from day one, we usually know, okay, I have to know how this system works because I have to be able to fix it. That's my job. Sometimes developers are just kind of thrown at it. They don't really have all the training and certifications around servers and networking and all those things. Yeah, so I'll share a little bit about the philosophy or how I see the world. So basically, there is Kubernetes, which is great. And there are a lot of tools like helping people develop faster to Kubernetes. And we can see the rise of the shift left movement and bringing more power to the devs. And I'm all for helping developers be more productive and take more ownership over their code and over the production. But what we usually see in a lot of the companies uh, on a lot of our customers is that from one hand, the developers can now deploy to production very easily, like almost alone without the need of the DevOps or the operation person uh, involved in the issue. But on the other hand, they, they have built a very good tooling for allowing developers to deploy to production faster. It might be GitOps or all of the abstraction right. above Kubernetes. They make it e- super easy to deploy a new container or a new service, like five minutes and you do Kubernetes hello world and you have a production service up and running. Uh, but what we see that has a lot less focus is the day two operation or, okay, now my service is broken. How do I fix it? What's an ingress? What's a load balancer? In most companies, the developers don't really know or understand how right. does Kubernetes work when I update the ingress object? What, what just happened here? And it's all like a voodoo. And like the, the ops people, a lot of the times are telling them, yeah, you don't really need to know that. Yeah, I, I, I got it covered. Just follow like A, B, right. and C. And then something breaks. It's the middle of the night, or it might be even like the middle of the day. And the developer all of a sudden needs to understand that like there's a thing like namespace, ingress, load balancer, yeah. uh, there's a pod there running. It's not a super magical server, uh, but there are actually like real things happening there. And what we see in a lot of the companies uh, we're talking with or our customers is that the ops team are trying to empower the developers. Their goal is basically to make themselves almost obsolete, like the ops people, so they can focus on building more tools for the rest of the team. And in order to do so, they need to give power to the developers, not only to release faster to production, because everyone is speaking about like fastest, like a fast CICD, but also, okay, now things break. What do I do? That's one of the first experiences that someone's going to have when they're learning Kubernetes, for example, is, you know, you do a kube control apply, or maybe you're doing a run or create command, but you do that kube control apply. And no matter what, as long as the YAML is correct in its its formatting, it will return a, you're done. And it's asynchronous. And yet it has nothing to do with whether your app actually works. That command, like a Docker run, typically will error out if the image doesn't exist or if your application is crashing. Like a Docker run is very simple that way. But when we all jump to that Kubernetes declarative asynchronous model, it, it completely starts to break down the whole, how do I even know what's working and what isn't? And there's not a single status command that gives you a status of all the things in your application, like a Docker Compose might do. 
So yeah, it's super tricky, I think, up front. Obviously, Kubernetes is getting better. We talk a lot about Kubernetes on this show. And one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, we're now finally getting ephemeral containers with the debug command. Some of these new things are showing up that'll let us, maybe more advanced people in this case, but at least <laughs> let us at least see something from the command line. But I do get a lot of questions around validating installations, validating that things are working, troubleshooting things that are not working. What's the right commands? Are there tools I should use? These are just all the sorts of stuff we have on the show. No, yeah, it's a real issue. It's a real pain because Helm, like in Helm tree, they added like an atomic command, like atomic mm -hmm. flag, if I'm not mistaken, in order exactly to, to solve those issues. Because like in Helm 1, so right. you deployed something with Helm and you don't even know the formatting is wrong and you find out only when you do like kubectl uh, uh, get pods or something like that or yeah. Helm LS. And then you find out what's the issue. I think the things that is especially missing and you said it correctly is I'm going to the, the kubectl apply and, and something will happen. How will I know 10 seconds from now that my application is running? Do I trust my CI/CD pipeline maybe that will mm. double check me? Or what some customers are telling us that every time they are doing a deploy, what they are doing is like opening four different tabs and looking at maybe at the Grafana metrics and doing like kubectl watch for one side and the Jenkins job on the third screen, like the third tab. And they're toggling between all of them just to hope like everything will work. And they're like, yeah, we are doing this every time we're deploying. And Commodore really tries to, to help exactly to address those issues. And to be frank, at start, at start we didn't have a deploy tracking mechanism because mm. we guessed that, I don't know, people are deploying and they already know how to validate if that deployment is working or not. And we talked with one of our customers and he said, it would be super cool if you can notify me every time a deployment fails. And we were a little bit surprised. We, we asked him, like, how do you currently know that things fail? I guess things sometimes fail for you. And he told us that he, he used Datadog, which is a great tool. Mm -hmm. And that after 10 minutes of failed deploy, Datadog will alert. They have general availability alerts. So he told okay. me every time a deployment fail, it takes me like 10 minutes in order to get to the Datadog threshold. And yeah. then I will get some sort of alert. And after I get the Datadog alert, I understand that there is a problem and I'm trying to figure out what was deployed and then I understand yeah. it this way. And so I think no matter if you're using Commodore or not, making sure that after a deploy, it binds me manually, it might be like automatically, you know that your application is up and running. And it sounds very, I don't know, like maybe very basic to some people, but I think that for other people, again, I don't want to point blames, but a lot of the time for the developer who people just told him, you know, follow this template and you'll be golden. So just ask yourself like, okay, uh, the pipeline will work. Everything will be green. Does it mean my application is really up and running now? And I don't have crash loop back off or something like that. Right. And uh, happening right. one minute after the deploy. Yeah. And there's lots of things because there's no app that's just, well, there's not no app, but there's very few apps that are one pod in one deployment and nothing else, right? So that, that's like the simplest apps that we all probably have to deal with on a daily basis are probably dozens of containers and multiple services, probably multiple public ports through a load balancer or something. And any one of those things, the funny thing is, is Kubernetes is doing all this stuff in the background, but in order to actually get a sense of what just your app, assuming your app is not the only one on the cluster, even if you tried to do it in kube control commands, you would need a bunch of different 
terminals open with various describe with watch, events with watch, like you would need all these different commands, these get commands to see, okay, cool, my pods are launching. Okay, my pods are not crash loop back off. The image name was correct. Okay, it's pulled the image. There's so much of this. Oh yeah, now my service has all the entry points that it needs to talk to the pod. So the service must be working. Okay, let me, can the load balancer, are the health checks working? There's so much of this that you basically have to end up being a, a command line guru or hope that there's a magical tool that can just show you a mm-hmm. screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just look at that uh, one screen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and I will say, let's be honest, how, how does things really work like in most companies that, that we see? Most people aren't a command line guru, right? right? Most people aren't the best Kubernetes troubleshoot. But what usually happens, there is one guy in the company or maybe two or three guys or girls in the company, and he knows his way around Kubernetes. He knows how to do like the pipe and do like a magical command that show him everything. So this guy or, or girl, she's bombarded with like questions on, is my pods okay? Why aren't they okay? What just happened now? What happened five minutes ago? And so the best, the, the most common tool in order like to use to troubleshoot Kubernetes at the moment is basically Slack or maybe Zoom now with, with all of the Right, with the oh, with, like with notifications and, and stuff? And it's asking other people, the, okay. the guru guy, <clears throat> What just happened now? What just happened and why? And can you please fix it? I was going to say here while we're talking about it, I wouldn't say that I live in Kubernetes all day, every day, but it's rare that a day goes by that I'm not doing something. And I still live with this cheat sheet up (laughs) from the documentation because I'm always like, there's so many examples in here of advanced commands or piping commands or, oh, what's that option? And sure, I could use the help of the command line. I could do all those things, but there's so many things and you can just search the web page for, oh, what, what's the watch options that I have? Or So yeah, even as a person who's dealing with Kubernetes every day, I guess my point there is that I still have to have the cheat sheets up. I've been making Docker files for six years and I still have to have the Docker file reference up from Docker's documentation because this stuff is hard. So many, like hard. so many flags and moving pieces, and then you write like the wrong order or something like that, and you just can figure out why you can't get the deployment as a YAML or something like that. And you know, I'm also very strong on Kubernetes, like for four or five, five last years, and I also I use Commodore most of the time, but every now and then I do use like kubectl cheat sheet and and the terminal history basically reverse. Reverse search oh, yeah. and what was the medical yeah. command I was just using a, a week ago in order to troubleshoot something very similar to that one. Yeah, all the command line tricks. But you know, so what started happening, and I'm gonna we're gonna segment into talking more about what your product does here in a second. But so a lot of us, we start this journey of okay, so we've learned this command line. And so a lot of my students will say, Okay, I, I now I now have installed the Kubernetes dashboard, right? The, the one that's like the official one. And mm-hmm. it tells me some things and it does update. It, it may not highlight immediate problems or immediate activities necessarily right away, but it's getting a little better. And then people learn about things like Lens or Infra, which are desktop applications that allow you to look at different clusters. And those are kind of general purpose tools that you can use them to apply Kubernetes manifest. You can use them to just list things in a visual way. They might have some basic graphs. They try to highlight 
if pods are, if there's a pod error state, they might do some basic stuff like that. But they're not necessarily like what's going on right now, focusing on live and troubleshooting, right? What is changing? What events are happening in my cluster? So then, at least for me, my journey started with, okay, let me go see if I can find the things that are focused more on that so that I have a tool specifically for when I deliberately want to make changes and I want to see what's happening in real time. And how do I know that those things actually did what I expect them to do without going to, like you said, waiting for the monitoring tools to catch up that are maybe a little bit more five minute average stats, a little bit, because Datadog is great. I love Datadog. It's a great example. It's complicated. (laughs) But for a product that you can one line install, it's hard to beat it. So is that how you came to this journey of like you had so many problems and you're like, what if there was a better tool and you decided to create it yourself? Is that how this started? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And I will say that the main drive that made Commodore is to try to answer the first question that I asked myself every time I had troubleshooting or I, I think most of the people. And that is what the hell just changed right now. Because... Most incidents, believe it or not, are originated from changes. So someone who changed something somewhere in the cluster, maybe in a different cluster, but something just changed. And now you try to figure out what happened and where should I look at and who should I talk with? And to answer this question today, you need to open up like five different tools and to track and being like a detective, but you're like a very sad detective because you don't have a lot of clues. And you need to be really expert in order to, to use the, the tools that you already have. Again, Datadog, great tool. You need a lot of context. Even Lens, if I'm going to tell you uh, that there is an issue in a specific pod or something like that, it's not that easy to use for people who don't really understand the context. And a lot of the times, the problem doesn't really lie on your service. It might be someone else who just deploy a version and you are relying on a certain API or something else. And, and basically, we try to help you figure out what change that might explain what you're experiencing. Because a customer in your site can't be able to log in. And you didn't really deploy five minutes ago, but for some reason, like, what do I do now? I open Lance and right. everything looks good other than maybe one pod who is on LT. But why? So to answer this question, the why part, uh, Commodore was born. And uh, specifically, we are like Kubernetes native. And the reason is that because Kubernetes, it's so easy to deploy new application, then people are just doing everything is a microservice. It's super easy. And then not only that you don't really understand your application, like how do I troubleshoot like a single pod application, but now you are inside the company and there are other teams and they're also deploying changes and they're also not that good in troubleshooting. And everything is just much, much harder. So this was like the main reason. I'm not sure if you have it. How do I troubleshoot a failed deployment in Kubernetes? Do you know like the flowchart? I think I've seen some serious ones. And then I've seen some (laughs) ones that look like a joke because it's (laughs) if you get them complicated enough, it's okay, this decision tree is insane. So Commodore tries to take most of this flowchart and basically gives you a very easy to use, not knowing like following all of the different steps in order to understand what the hell just happened, what what, what just happened in my cluster. So yeah, this is again, not our product. We we try to make it easy as possible, but this flowchart is like the canonical, how do I troubleshoot Kubernetes, the failed deployments. 
so people start asking about like resource limitations and 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 some of that stuff and how that works. And so someone asked around resource limitation, rescheduling the container once the limit is hit. Is there a native way to set soft limits so that container would not see all the host memory instead? But yes, yeah, setting memory limits inside the container runtime should be the solution. So yes, Kubernetes and Docker do have both reservations and limits. You can set both. And that uses an, a feature inside the Linux operating system that uses a C groups to actually control that stuff. One of the problems, though, is that if you have an application that is not paying attention to the C group limitations of the container, a great example is an older Java application. Older Java apps before, I don't know, a year or two ago, Java didn't respect the C groups. So you might set limits, but Java would say, ah, uh-uh, I see that the whole server has 64 gig, even though you gave me three gig, I want to use all 64 gig. And then Java would basically, if it was given the limits, the job of Kubernetes and Docker are to uh, wait for those limits to be overrun, essentially, and then kill it. It's basically Linux will do an out of memory uh, error and will kill the application. So you could basically DOS yourself if you didn't have your apps. Now, this is app specific. So you've got to kind of dive in your app and, fit and learn about how does your app deal with C group limitations in Linux. It gets a little nerdy. But for a lot of apps, hopefully you can just set limits and the app will respect them if you set them in Kubernetes and Docker. Some older apps or maybe outdated stuff like Java, if you have an older one, you might have to actually set it in Java's configuration. Anyway, that was a great yeah, question. XMX and, and so, yeah. yeah, there you yeah. go. You, you've already, you already know it. You know it by heart. Yeah, when you yeah, run yeah, Java yeah. at the command in your Docker file, you'll need to set that in there or you can overwrite it uh, in your, your Kubernetes manifest. But yeah, it's an option at the command line for Java. And most people don't notice, right? Like they just, it just runs. But then when they set the limits, the thing keeps crashing. Why does it keep crashing? Yeah, I didn't do Java troubleshooting for a long time, to be honest. Like we are Python and Golang and TypeScript. So no Java for me for a lot of time. But yeah, setting the right limits on the Java is super important when you use Docker. And it's nice to know that they change it because when I, last time I wrote Java, it, it still didn't really respect the outer limits. Yeah. Okay, the next question I have for you. Uh, the difference between monitoring tools like ELK, Prometheus versus Commodore. Yeah, you know, sure. What, so what ELK, the Prometheus, that, Datadog, New Relic, Splunk, all of them, they yeah. are great tools. Like To be honest, we use like Logs.io, which is like an Israeli Kibana-style platform, and mm-hmm. we use Datadog. So those tools are really good in telling you the symptoms. They tell you that you have a problem. For example, Datadog or Prometheus will shout at you like your CPU is high or your latency is high or uh, your number of services is currently low, like beneath some sort of threshold. So they are great in what we we call like the symptoms. And they tell you that there is a problem and you should look. But now let's say that your Prometheus is shouting at you that the CPU is high. Five minutes ago, everything looked great. You look at the graph and yeah, everything, yeah, amazing. But now (laughs) things are really bad. Uh, So Prometheus doesn't really help you to understand what just happened that might explain it. It might be that you release a new application and you have a bug. Maybe some other team that uh, you are dependent on just changed something. Maybe some customer, maybe some someone in your team opened the feature flag that you shouldn't have. So a lot of different things might explain the same symptom, which is like high CPU, high latency, a high error rate. Uh, so what Commodore does, we don't really focus on metric tracking or even logging tracking, like right. use plant, use Grafana. Great, great 
tools. We integrate with those tools and we show you on a single timeline both the alerts from those systems, but also all of the changes that happen across the system. And those changes might be from your team and it might be something externally. Uh, so we are not competing uh, and we are a good friend and we have Sentry exceptions, Datadog exceptions, Kubernetes health issues. Uh, so all of these are based on the real issues our customers are facing. And sometimes even we are facing issues. Uh, and like I said, we are using those tools internally. Yeah, so it's adding to your toolkit, not necessarily replacing your existing... Yeah, we play nice with other tools. Like we don't come to replace them. We came to, yeah. to take all of the data from them and to help you to get more context regarding issues and regarding problems. Well, and, and one of the challenges too with a lot of logging and metrics tools is they, they come relatively unopinionated. I mean, I haven't seen all of your app yet, but I'm going to just say that I like opinionated tools that have a focus in a lot of cases. You could actually argue that Docker is a very opinionated tool. And that's one of the things that had a success was that we knew how to run containers before, but it was really complicated and you had to figure it all out. And there was a lot of only like Netflixes and Googles could do all that. But Docker made it a one line opinion that worked for most people. And one of the things I love are tools that do have that kind of a experience based opinion of how things ought to work. And I'm excited, to, I'm excited to see it. And I will say that what you just described is one of the questions that we keep on asking in ourselves. And that is basically, we have a ton of data and we share to our users only a small amount of it. And we try to share the data that really means something for them and not right. throw everything we know just happened inside your Kubernetes cluster. And I will say that our, our target audience or the people who gained the most benefit out of Commodore is basically people who are running Kubernetes. They are spending a lot of time troubleshooting, which is basically almost everyone who is using Kubernetes in production. Yeah. Uh, and they, they use several tools. So once the team grows to a certain size, and it can be even like five or 10 developers, but usually around 50 plus developers, it's super hard figuring out what has changed and, and, and what's the current status of your cluster. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about, even with just a small team of developers, when you're no longer the person that's the only one applying manifests to the cluster, mm -hmm. certainly, even if you're just maybe someone and and you're managing, you know, the app and then it's in particular namespace, and maybe it's got you know, five or six pods in that namespace. It's a small app and maybe it's got a couple of services. But the minute you start adding other people and they start creating their own manifests, yeah, it suddenly gets tricky because you you don't necessarily have an easy way to get a sense whether, I mean, sure, we got Slack updates. Like you said, you can look at monitoring tools. You can do a bunch of cube control commands. But just having a single dashboard showing me a timeline of activity and then relating that, because you're usually, like you're saying, I usually care more about the pod. I care about the pod, the, the set of pods in that deployment, the services in front of it, the load balancers in front of that, like all those things, the ingress rules that are coming in. Like that's usually a nice view like that. So I like the ability you can add and subtract those on the on those related services. So we've got some questions. One of them uh, asked earlier was around what are the requirements in, in terms of Kubernetes? Does it work? Uh, does it support K8s and not any customized versions such as OpenShift? 
No, we do support OpenShift. So OpenShift and K3S, as well, as long as like the basic APIs of Kubernetes works, then we work. How our product works, the Kubernetes side, is we have a native application agent running on top of the cluster, and it sends us the changes that happen across the cluster. It, it has a very uh, low CPU and memory requirement. Everything is written in Go, super effective. And most of the heavy lifting is done on the service side meaning the ability to take the Kubernetes data, which is super important, to correlate it with other Kubernetes data and with other data points, such as like the Datadog, the Sentry, and even things like, by the way, Slack messages and, and the ability to be not only one way. Our goal is to integrate and to index as much data as possible. Can you show the REST API tail in the dashboard? Oh, this is a great question. And the reason that I'm saying it's a great question is not because it's currently possible in the product. It is something we're going to release in the upcoming uh, weeks. So again, we started and like I said, I'm not really want to, to fight with the login tools. Like I use login tools. I like them. And we were quite sure people will want to use their own login mechanism and not use Commodore for that. And we have links that you can add to Commodore to, to the relevant logs. But as more and more and more customers, they tell us, using Commodore now, I know that the deployment has failed. Just show me the logs. I'm already in your platform. Just let me close in like the, the loop as we are adding live tail of all the pods. And I think it will be specifically nice when you have a failed pod, like for a crash back off, sorry, right. or things like that, that you have to read the application logs in order to understand what just happened. Uh, right. right now. Um, so it would force you to go to a different tool. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. And that doesn't require you to have a third-party logging tool rather to pull those in. You're just going to have it there yourself. Yeah. No, no need for FluentD or like a Bits or something like that. Again, they, they are nice. Uh, <laughs> nothing bad about them. Yeah, they can store it for a long period of time and stuff like that. I'm sure. Do you need to deploy your app via some automated pipeline or how do you link it to a Git commit? Uh, great question. The linking to Git commit, it's one of the trickiest like, and most interesting thing that we are doing. So in order to, to do the matching, we need some types of hints from our users. A lot of the time, the Docker image itself already has the GitHub SHA for a lot of organization. So basically we take the SHA from the image and we also have a GitHub application. We have all of the data and we correlate things by ourselves. For other customers, they might already have some sort of tags on top of the Kubernetes deployment YAML. And we integrate with the annotations that if, if they already exist, then it's great. If not, we ask our users to add the certain annotations. And again, one of the coolest things that we have in Commodore, like once your organization grows a little bit, uh, then a single deployment might be affected from more than one repo. Maybe you have one repo for the application, but you have a different repo for all of the Kubernetes YAML. And in this specific deployment, both of them just change. So Commodore know how to correlate not a single image that change, but to show you everything that is changed across multiple repos. All right, next question. How does Commodore handle multiple clusters? So, one of the nice things, uh, because we are really strong on Kubernetes and the only things you really care about is you installing us on your cluster, then we support out of the box multiple clusters and we know how to show you all of your clusters. We also work because again, the focus on Kubernetes, we're also multi-cloud. So we have like, customers using us in AWS, Azure and Oracle cloud. 
and everything just worked out of the box because the heavy lifting is done on our backend and the Cube API is very similar in all three cases. Uh, so you can install us on multiple cluster and then you can see everything in one place. Uh, and for all of you who are, who are using multi-clusters or multi-cloud, it makes troubleshooting a whole different ballgame. It's even harder to understand what change in, in which cluster and in which cloud. Uh, so using Commodore really gives you a very easy answer uh, for that. Yeah. Next up, how to avoid a flood of events and alerts. Imagine a company with several clusters in different regions. We could have a lot of noise. How do we filter it? Yeah, great question. Uh, so at the moment, what we do is we read the relevant tags annotation, both from the alerts and from the clusters. And we try to have the best way to, to correlate between those alerts and the services. Our goal is when you go to a service, you don't see I had like 300 Datadog alerts. You will see only the relevant alerts for this service. And we do mm -hmm. it with a little bit of like real engine and also reading the tags and annotation. And for some customers, we ask them to help us help them. So basically to add like relevant tags or annotation so we can do it uh, even better. And we are working really hard on that part specifically on what's the best way like of signal to noise, which alert should they show you and which alert shouldn't they show you? It, it's a very interesting question. And like you said, we try to be opinionated, but not too opinionated, which right. it's not easy, like it's, uh, it's, walking it's between the drops. Right. It's hard to make it uh, perfect for everyone. Yeah. But definitely I mean, in my world of ops, alert fatigue is a huge factor. I'm always dealing with alert fatigue, notification fatigue. It just, these things are crazy when you first turn them on. And there's always on a new environment and a new application, there's always a lot of effort put into turning the things down usually, especially with a lot of the monitoring tools out there because they want to show you a bunch of stuff wrong. It's almost like the monitoring tools come out of the gate and they're like, I want to show you everything wrong so that you think I'm working. Because if they show no, everything no. fine, then you think, well, this monitoring tool isn't working. But if they show you all yeah. these wrong things, it's like, then you have to start saying, okay, that's not a no. big, that's not an issue. You know, like how does the alert graph looks for like most organization as we see, and I also experience this. And usually, you have no alerts or a very low amount. Then you start adding alerts, or you enter, you install a new alert system. So there's a huge spike of alerts, and you have like hundreds of alerts each day. And then you understand like 100 from a certain point, the alerts are meaningless because no one really looks at them. And then you're like, well, I'm going to do housekeeping and I'm going to make sure the alert level is very low. So you do a very like cleanup of the alerts. Yeah. And after, uh, I don't know, like a week or two weeks or even a month, then it's going to be back up. And I can tell you that some customers already asked Commodore to help to reduce the noise because we index everything. We index the alert, the pager duty. We index alerts from different systems and different monitoring tools. Uh, so we are looking in like helping reduce alert fatigue. So it is yeah. something that uh, we are working on and we hope to help organization just understand what alerts doesn't really matter or no one really looks at them and they are closing automatically. Yeah. Right, or in bulk. Just close all, select all, close. Yeah, the, the, um, this, you know, yeah. This, this is what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually seen cases where people install one monitoring tool. There's too much alerting. They're tired of trying to manage it. So then they install a second monitoring tool, leaving the first one there, but a second monitoring tool that, that they try to make alert less. 
so that they can re- re- depend on that tool more than the first one. Yeah, it, there's chaos out there. It's And so it's rare to see something out of the gate that gives me anything close to the right amount of alerting for a normal size team. So yeah, it's tough. If only it was just a little drag, uh, a little metric I can just drag left and right. And then when no, I get it... Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we try to do for our customers, and the moment it's more like of a personal approach, but we try to improve it, is to showcase them like, what's the best practices or what should you do just to understand what is happening? So let's say you're a Commodore user, we just install Commodore on your cluster. And then I show you that you have a lot of health events, meaning your service is unhealthy for, I don't know, like 10 seconds, each two minutes or something like that. And you aren't really aware of it. And you, sometimes like our customers are saying to us, why is my service <laughs> unhealthy? And sometimes they just don't configure the resource limit correctly or the health checks correctly. And there are so many little gutches that you must know in order to make sure your system is running correctly. And we see so many people just running towards Kubernetes, like it's a magical, you know, like a magical pill for all of their illnesses. And this is, it's not that easy. I, I really love Kubernetes. You can master it. I think it's a great technology. I really like Kubernetes, but it takes time. And we try to highlight for our customers sometimes, you should look here and here because you have a lot of alerts and you don't have the right health mechanism or resource mechanism. We got three or four more questions. See if we can do some rapid fire. One, easy way to try... Basically, how do they sign up? They just go to the website? Uh, so just go to the site and and do like free trial and we'll contact you very soon. At the moment, we accept everyone, but we do a very quick demo introduction with our customers. We plan on going like self-serve in a couple of months probably. But for now, we do like to speak with the customers. Uh, but yeah. we do give like a free trial and feel free to, to check it out. You can also email me if you like on ITIEL at the Commodore.com. All right, so they sign up, and that's in the startup game, we call that concierge service. So you're giving yeah. that, that very nice holding hand on new customers, and that's that's great because within the world of free signups, it's for everything. It's always it's that, hard. okay, I've signed like, up, and now I have no idea what I need to do. You know? Empty screen. Like, you, you finish the sign up, the screen is empty, and you're like, I don't really want an empty screen. I want a product to use. And, and making sure nice. the onboarding experience is good is something that we spend a lot of time. The basic installation takes less than five minutes and you already have Commodore monitoring your services. Yeah, so a deep technical question basically is essentially talk more about the agent or is this a controller? Is this an agent on every node? No, it's a single deployment. We talked about doing it daemon set, but for now, even for very big clusters, like dozens of different nodes, we don't really need it. Memory wise, I think it's like under one health CPU and 500 RAM, I think, but the actual number is super, super low. Like basically all it does, it listens to the Cube API. It does some basic reduction if the customers want, if you have any kind of secret or secret keys or something like that, we do reduction and we send everything to Commodore. So it's basic as possible and Go is really effective. Uh, We use the standard Cube API, the Cube uh, the, the caching mechanism for those of you who really know like the cube uh, API mechanism. So yeah. All right. That's actually nice because you know I'm used to a world where I've got three or four monitoring agents as daemon sets on every single node and another tool with another daemon set on every node. Is- uh, we sometimes we are installing in a 
company and we see all of their services and you see so much memory and resources are spent only on four daemon set for a cluster that has 40 nodes. It's a lot of money you are paying just on the compute resources of those tools that monitoring yeah. your yeah, yeah, especially if they're deeper inspection, new relics, stuff like that. Yeah, it, it can get really costly. They are expensive. Um, yeah. Okay, so another question was, uh, you showed Jenkins as a part of the example for CD. Are there other CD tools like Argo and Flux supported yeah, as well? Yeah, we support Argo, and we are also planning on supporting like Flux out of the box. Argo CD, by the way, again, for, for me, one of the best like projects. I, I really like mm. both, both the community there and, and the tool itself. So yeah, we do support Argo out of the box. Yeah, we mentioned Argo a lot on this show and actually had Victor, who you were on recently on Victor Farsik's show, DevOps Paradox. And we talked about Argo. He gave a little demo of Argo CD and we talked about the project and like versus Flux. And, and he has, you know, he lives in that world of CD tooling since he used to work oh. at CloudBees, which makes Jenkins. So it was a really great <laughs> conversation around. I just love all these new ideas around the GitOps tools and bringing change back to Git and using Git as the source of truth rather than having yet another dashboard and another tool just to do that. But th I can see how this layered on top of that gives me more than just answering the question, what image am I running? Which, you know, is a valuable thing. But now I, if I can get that in Git, having a tool like this on top, that timeline view is actually pretty great. Because that's when you're one of many operators, most tools don't give you a timeline. They give you a timeline of monitoring, or you can see a list of log events. But understanding the change rate in the cluster and what's changed that you care about, what changes that you didn't, that's pretty, that's pretty great stuff. Uh, all right, yeah, I think we have yeah, maybe uh, one more question. This is more color on the cost of the yeah. operators or the CPU agent, because they were saying that the, they deployed Istio and the costs were over what our services were consuming. So it was not feasible for no, us no, to use. Like yeah. It, yeah, so the tools were using more CPU than your actual app, it, right? Istio, at least I was using like a very version of Istio. I think like using Istio, you, you, you need to know what you are doing. And he was, I'm not sure how it's right now, but he had so much overhead, like latency, memory, CPU. Maybe now things are better, uh, but I was using like 0.3, I think, or 0 0.5 or something okay. like that. And it was like, we had three services, <laughs> but Istio al almost crashed our cluster. And then I deleted it. And I promised myself, if I'm going to use Istio again, I'm going to have a really good reason. And I still <laughs> didn't, didn't have one. Again, I think the project is nice. I don't want to, to, to say bad things because uh, I didn't use it for two years, I think. Uh, yeah, and any of those service meshes are... It's one of those things where it's not for the faint of heart. You definitely want to be an expert at a lot of the levels of Kubernetes and servers and networking and proxies and TLS and certificates. There's yeah. a, so much you have to know before you even really want to step your toe in. I actually need to do several shows to talk about some of these projects and their status and have some of the experts on it. It's been, I think, over a year since we've had, a, almost a year since we've had a service mesh company or a project manager for a service mesh come on the show. And I think it's time for an update because I know that everybody is trying to make it easier, simpler, more reliable, like basically following the path of Kubernetes, but they're years behind. So like, yeah. uh, every time a customers of mine ask me what I think about service mesh, uh, I just ask them, what are you trying to achieve? And nine out of 10 customers don't really need service mesh. Sometimes you try to do like very complicated cross-cluster communication right. and to make sure there, but like most people, if you are in some, like Istio, Spinnaker, there are certain tools in our community 
that has a really good reputation. And for some people, they work great. Like some, I do know companies using Istio and are happy with that. But most of these companies have a whole team dedicated holding Istio hand and making sure everything works as expected. Right, right. Well, this has been a great little intro into the tool. I'm glad people are interested in asking more questions about it. So I think we're going to leave it at that. And is there anything else you wanted to mention? So we, we know about sign up. They're going to get some concierge service if they do that to help them onboard it and check mm-hmm. it out. You can find more resources on their website, obviously, for all their socials. And nothing else. Use Commodore. Understand. <laughs> it will make your life like uh, troubleshooting uh, Kubernetes a lot easier. Uh, a lot of big com- companies are already using us in production successfully. We also have nice blog posts and, and we try to do things, uh, t- to write interesting pieces and uh, not like uh, marketing things. And we have a very nice one uh, coming up. Uh, yeah, nothing else. Look at that. Alert fatigue, like, uh, my favorite topic. No, there was a time that I don't know, like all of our customers just complained so much about alert fatigue that I tried taking everything that I heard and write it down regarding mm. how they manage it. And, and so on. Oh, okay. Yeah. How they fixed that problem. Yeah. I <laughs> need to read that because I'm always struggling. Like it's never perfect. It's either too little, too much. It's not in the right tool. I don't see it. I'm tired of it emptying out my inbox, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. There's a nice uh, blog post by Netflix, I think, about the mm. mechanism they use in order to do better alerts or Facebook. It was like in Hacker News recently. And you see how many brilliant data scientists are there just to make sure the alerts are like noise through single ratio right. is fine and it's so hard like they have the best phds in the world trying to solve the alert fatigue uh, issue yeah uh, so yeah it's hard it's hard yeah it's hard D- don't be sad if you're experienced we're all struggling with it so don't be sad well th- thanks so much yeah. etl for being on the show looking forward as the, the tool progresses and uh, we have you back on the show at some point for some big updates on on what's new and all that i'm already looking forward to that so thanks again for taking your time Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.